Welcome to episode 343 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And before we get started, just an announcement that our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, have moved their yearly conference from being live and in-person to online, which will be August 14th through 16th, 2020, with over 60 speakers including myself and New York Times bestselling author of Dying to Be Me, Anita Morjani. There are many, many speakers on different topics related to the afterlife. It's a low price and you get videos on demand after the event if you cannot join live. And you can visit iands.org to find out more. Our guest today is Linda McCarthy, who believes humans survive physical death, thrive, and reunite. She has researched the work of brilliant minds in the fields of medicine, law, and science, as well as having her own personal experiences with near death. She is also the mother of a son who transitioned while serving in the U.S. Navy. As a board-certified metaphysical counselor, Linda is the author of The Myth of Dying, and her purpose is to provide resources to assist people experiencing grief after the death of a loved one. You can find out more about our special new friend, Linda, at newdirectionscoaching.com. Linda, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much, Sandra. I truly appreciate this. Oh, so do we. I know I saw a post of yours on Facebook, and I just knew that your story is one that needed to be shared. So I don't know too much. You're welcome. Don't know too much about you. So this is the perfect place to share. So tell us a little bit about you and maybe some of your background before writing the book and yeah, your story. Well, as you said, I, I'm a metaphysician. I hold a, a doctorate in metaphysical counseling, and I've had a practice for over 15 years. Um, I'm also a Reiki master and certified grief counselor. And change completely changed my life after my son transitioned and became an afterlife researcher and educator. So um, never thought that I would be here at this point in time in my life, but I'm very grateful. I'm absolutely in complete gratitude for everything that um, my life has turned out to be at this point. Um, So my first introduction to death was when I was almost five years old. And my dad and I were very close. In fact, I was his shadow, so to speak. And I know you have a very close relationship with your dad. Yes. Um, and so we used to, he used to put me on his lap and let me drive the car around the block. And, you know, I would just, anywhere he went, I went. And one day he was washing the car and I was upstairs and looking at him through the window and he would, you know, spray the water on the window and I would laugh and all of a sudden he wasn't there. And I, looked down. I said, Daddy, get up. And he wasn't moving. Mm. And I remember screaming to my mom and Daddy fell down. Daddy fell down. And so she went outside, not really concerned, you know, see what was going on. And my dad had had a massive heart attack. 
and had died at that moment. And I just remember being kept away. All of us were kept away. And a sheet was thrown over him. And then, you know, my just this guttural scream from my mother. And it was terrible. It was horrific. And then there was the funeral. And I, I, have, I come from a large family. I'm number 10 of 11. Wow. We're a large blended family. And my one of my older brothers said to me, like, I said, why is daddy asleep in a box in church? And they said, you know, don't wake him up. Like, daddy's sleeping. And I couldn't understand. I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that he was sleeping, but why was everybody crying? Right. Why was everybody upset? And then that was it. I mean, that was just kind of my introduction to quote unquote death. And it made absolutely no sense to me. And then I thought my dad didn't come home and I was very afraid to sleep. I just would lay in bed at night until I was exhausted and couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. Um, but I think at that time, which was in the 60s, nobody really talked about it. I mean, it's even a, I, I, a bit of a challenge today. You know, people yes. are still afraid of the topic of death. So, um, you know, I, I, I struggled and my mom decided to move all of us back to Phoenix, which is where I live right now, ironically. But um, she thought that that would be better for the family. But I really just didn't adjust. I, I, I was having a really difficult time. So my aunt and uncle who lived back in my old neighborhood agreed. They said, why don't we just take her for a while? and Till things calmed down and a while ended up being that I lived with them permanently, which was the greatest, I, I think the greatest gift my dad could have ever given me. And I remember my aunt would always say to me, um, still waters run deep, little girl. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time, but I think she was basically saying that I was more an observer of life than perhaps a reactor. Hmm. Um, because I asked questions that nobody had the answers to or <clears throat> didn't want to answer. And, you know, I would say, eventually they said daddy was in heaven. So, of course, I would say, well, where is heaven? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's up there. It's up there. And I would say, well, how far? Like, how far is heaven? And then being Catholic, um, going to church, that particular priest was very much into hell and, and damnation. And um, if you weren't good, you would go to hell. And so then I would say, well, where's hell? And the priest would say, well, if you're a good little girl, you'll go to heaven. But nobody could ever explain to me what heaven was. Right. I just knew that that's where, where my dad was. And that's where I had to, I had to be a really good little girl. And then I remember saying, how good do I need to be? <laughs> like, like so um i you know i I'm definitely inquisitive and asked a lot of questions but again nobody could really say they would just say well be a good girl and you'll go to heaven so i finally just gave up to be honest with you i i really couldn't find any answers to the questions so life became normal for me living with my aunt and uncle they became 
my pseudo parents, my cousin became my sister and life became normal. And I went to school and had a lot of friends and graduated, went to college, did everything that a lot of people do. Ended up getting married, having children. And in 1999, I will never forget it. It was like I had this awakening, I guess you could call it. I woke up one day. It was literally one morning I woke up and I had this need to understand the afterlife. Hmm. I had no I had no idea why there wasn't I mean clearly I'd had relatives past people that I love my friends but I never had this this is not like I need to know about the afterlife right and I have nowhere to turn it's like I I who do you, you know I thank goodness for Raymond Moody um, you know, so I was reading his books. I was reading Lynn Grabhorn's book, Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. But I really didn't know exactly where to turn. And as spirit would have it, um, I ended up getting a job as the director of this wellness center. And I was living in Annapolis, Maryland at the time called uh, Natural Healing. And it was like I jumped down the rabbit hole a little bit. Didn't go all the way down, but I jumped down the rabbit hole because I didn't even know this place existed. But there were acupuncturists and naturopaths, yoga, homeopathy, massage therapy, and a shaman. And I... I felt like, you know, I'd won the lottery at that point. Mm -hmm. The shaman, I went in one day, I was always having a problem with my shoulder, my left shoulder blade. And I would say, her name was Ronnie. And I said, Ronnie, you know, can you just work on my shoulder again? And she, she sat me down and she said, they're telling me you're ready to hear this. I had no idea who she was listening to. Right. She said, look, she said, in a previous life, you were wounded. That's how you died. You were wounded in your shoulder. And she said, you're carrying the energy of that wound with you into this lifetime. And so she imparted her wisdom about the unseen world with me. And she said, if you agree to it because I need your approval. I will remove that wound and your pain will go away. And to be honest with you, Sandra, I, I didn't really believe her. Right. I thought, mm, okay, sure. Go for it. Right. Go for it. But she did work. She did some energy work on me. And to this day, the pain never came back. Oh, that's wild. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if it was placebo. I I didn't really care. Right. It was like I had seen chiropractors, I had, you know, talked to my doctors and and it was gone. That was it. It never came back. So that gave me a little pause for reflection of 
gosh, maybe there is a lot more to this that I'm not seeing. And when I asked her about it later, she gave me, and I know you've heard it probably a million times, but the analogy of the ice cube. And so, you know, she said to me, you know, if you hold an ice cube, it's physical, it's hard, it's solid. But if you put it in a pan and you put the heat on, it starts to melt and it changes into a form of liquid, but it's still the ice cube. Mm -hmm. And then if you keep the fire going, eventually the water will dissipate into vapor. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't feel it. It's still there. Yes. And that, boy, it was kind of like my aha moment with her. And then after that, I was all in about understanding the afterlife and energy fields and and my family, <laughs> including my son, was like, Mom, what is wrong with you? Are you crazy? And mm-hmm. I, said, I, I don't know. I said, I may be. Like, I can't explain it. Um, I just feel like I have one foot here and one foot someplace else. But on June 26th, 2014, everything that I learned, um, it was preparing me for this huge life event. Um, so my son, Sean, I have, I have actually three children. I have two in spirit, two sons, and my daughter is here in the physical. And Sean had become, had just made the rank of lieutenant, and he was assigned to Navy Special Warfare in Virginia Beach, working with the Navy SEALs. And he came from San Diego to spend a week with us, which was the greatest gift he could ever have given me. And we bought things for his apartment and he golfed with his dad. And we just, it it was a beautiful week of just mother-son time and nothing spectacularly special. But looking back, it was our way of, I think, our soul's way of saying goodbye to each other in the physical world. And I remember when he was leaving and he had been on deployment, he had been out on on Navy cruises numerous times. So it wasn't like this was his first time of going away. And I remember holding him in the family room and I just said, don't go. And I've never said that to him before, ever. Even when he was leaving to go to Iraq and Iran and, I said, don't go. And he said, he kissed me on the forehead and he said, mom, don't be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be weird. I have to go. And I said, okay, I know. So he went to Virginia Beach. He moved into his new apartment. Um, He was showing me pictures, calling me, going, I've got new furniture. It's coming on Friday. I'm so excited. Um, He said, I just the basic things. I have a washer and a dryer in my apartment mm-hmm. for, you know, just those little things. But we had this amazing conversation and he said, listen, I'm going to be really busy for the next few days. Um, he said, I'm going to actually throw a party on Sunday night, um, a world cup party. So he's like, you know, if I don't call you, like, don't freak out. Mm-hmm. He said, but I'll, I'll talk to you on Sunday. And I said, okay, that's fine. 
And I was really busy as well. I was moving into a new office space. So I really didn't think that much about it, not hearing from him for a few days. But then on Sunday, I remember taking the phone outside so I wouldn't miss his phone call because I wanted to hear how things were going. Mm -hmm. And I never got the phone call. And I thought, well, you know, here I am trying to not listen to my gut. And I thought, well, he's busy. He's got this party going. And he always had a propensity to lose his phone. I can't even tell you how many phones he had to lie. <laughs> that he lost. <laughs> yes, he would lose phones all the time. He'd be like, lost another iPhone. Oh, no. So I thought, okay, you know, he probably misplaced his phone. I I'm trying to rationalize mm -hmm. the reasons why I haven't heard from him. And on Monday, I received a phone call from a girl that he had been dating. And she said, hi, listen, she said, have you heard from Sean? <clears throat> and I said, no. She said, well, I haven't either. She said, it's really weird because we usually will call or text each other. But um, she said, I'm in New York and I know he's in Virginia Beach, but I haven't heard from him. And she said, I'm going to call the base because she was also military. She said, I'm going to call the base and see if he's checked in. And I said, oh, that, that'd be great because his voice was just, his phone was going to voicemail. He wasn't picking up. So she called and they said, oh, yeah, Lieutenant McCarthy's here. Um, he checked in. He's doing a walk around. And as soon as he's finished, we'll have him give, your, give his parents a call. So she called me back. She said, oh, he's good. He's doing a walk around. And I said, oh, I remember, I remember saying to her, boy, he's going to get an earful when he calls. Mm -hmm. Except he never did. And a few hours later, something just said, you need to call the police in Virginia Beach and just ask them to do a wellness check. So I did. And... A couple of hours later, the detective called and said, um, well, his car's in the parking lot. And as soon as he said that, my stomach dropped. And he said, I'll call you back. And minutes seemed like hours. But he called back and he said, I have your son's ID here. He said, is his name Sean McCarthy? Went through the whole identification process. Yes. He said, well, yeah. I'm sorry to inform you, your son is deceased. We found him deceased in his apartment. Oh. So matter of fact, he just said, um, NCIS is, is here. They've been here for a while. Um, we're going to do an investigation. We'll get back to you. He said the Navy will be contacting you. And that was it. That was a conversation. And I remember it's like you just and for everyone who's been through this, you all understand. It's like your world does a complete 180. And I know I went into shock at that point. But I, I looked at my husband, Kevin, and I said, we need to bring Sean home. I said, I don't want him to be in a place that he's unfamiliar with. And I know that sounds bizarre, but it's just the brain of a, 
of a mother. Of a mother, sure. Right, that's not thinking rationally. And the, the only thing I wanted to do was protect him. And, you know, it, like six foot one, six foot two, <laughs> he was all about protecting me. Right. And I went immediately into mom mode. I said, I, I, we need to go bring him home. And I, we called our daughter. Of course, she was devastated. She flew here from L.A. And then the next day, we all flew to Virginia Beach. And just a long, a very long day. Got to Virginia Beach in the evening. There was a ton of paperwork to do. And I remember getting to the hotel room and I was exhausted. And I just said to spirit, I said, God, please help me. Show me something. Please help me. And when I unzipped, when I unzipped my luggage, there was a foot long, and it's in the picture, in the book, there's a picture, a foot long white feather at the very top of my clothes. And so I turned around and I said, all right, who put the feather in my luggage? And they said, nobody. Why would we put a feather in your luggage? And I didn't, I mean, I always love feathers, but I didn't have feathers around my home. Right. And I certainly wouldn't have gone looking to put a white feather in my luggage. Everything was, you know, a, a black dress and, you know, whatever I needed, but I, and I knew at that point that that had to be spirit telling me, like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, we're right here. And I carried that feather with me like a pacifier um, for the next few days. It was like the only tangible thing that I could hold on to. But I knew... I knew in my heart and my soul that I wasn't alone, that spirit was with me. And the next day, my sister, she said, I'm going to run over and get a Coke. They'll do the names on the Coke cans today. But um, at that time, I guess it was a new thing. So she goes over to the vending machine and she grabs a Coke and she comes back and when she turned it around, the name Sean was on it. Amazing. And it, it was because it was S-E-A-N, not S-H-A-W-N, S-H-A-U-N. It was the way his name was spelled. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, you know, I'm, I could kick myself now for not saving that can. But <laughs> right. I just, I smiled and I just, I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the second night, it was actually early morning of the third morning, um, I had a visitation. And the way that I think probably most people know what a visitation is, but the difference between a visitation and a dream is you'll never forget a visitation. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you what I dreamed about last night, but I can remember this from six years ago. And I remember Sean was standing, it looked like, you know, a a turnstile, maybe like at a, it looked like a train station. And there was this 
big turnstile and he was standing on the other side of it. And he was holding, he was in his dress whites and he had the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> Excuse me. And he said, I have to go home now, mom. And he was holding a baby. Oh. And it was, a, he had a baby and it was wrapped in a blue blanket. And he said, I have my brother with me. Oh. And the thing is, Sandra, years ago, I had miscarried at four months a baby boy. And he had his brother with him. And he said, we have to go now. And then he smiled and then they disappeared. And I know as strange as that sounds, there was so much comfort in knowing that you know, my boys were together. Together and going home. Yes. Yeah. Going home. And even though he, I had miscarried years before Sean was born, um, he showed up as an infant. Mm -hmm. um, I know he's grown now and, you know, and I will recognize him when I go home for sure. But I just felt so blessed that he showed himself as an infant so that I would know that he was with Sean. Linda, can I ask what happened to Sean? He was shot. Oh. Yeah, he was shot. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So after that, when we got back, I, I remember I, I held his, he was cremated and I had his urn with me um, and I carried it everywhere. And I, I remember just putting it on my hip and I was rocking it back and forth. And a friend of mine said, you're rocking him like a baby. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And flying back, the airlines are very strict about cremains. And um, I remember they said, well, you have to put that in the overhead. And I was really upset. I, I said, I don't want him in the overhead. But they, you know, that's just policy. Right. So, um, but the the crew and the pilot, they were all very nice. They said that there was um, a soldier coming home. He was taking his last flight home. And they said, could you please allow the family to get off the airplane first? And I just remember like walking down the aisle. We were in the back of the airplane and people were sobbing. And I was just trying to hold it together. And um, I said, just get me home. Just get me home. And I thought I was really finished with signs. And so I just got busy just closing out accounts and doing all of these things. And, well, spirit had a whole different <laughs> agenda for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so shortly after I got back, there's a, there's a couch where Sean would always lay. It's a love seat. Mm -hmm. And in order to turn on the light, which is a, a tall light, you have to, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but you'd have to go behind the couch to turn on the light. Like a switch, <laughs> right? To turn on the light. So I'm like, okay, that was smart. 
But one morning, um, I couldn't sleep in the bed. I had to sleep on the couch because his urn was in the library and I wanted to be close to him. And I remember just saying to him, you know, if you're around, show me, let me see. And I'm not kidding, this light started to glow and it got brighter and brighter and brighter. And I was so comforted by that, that for the first time, I just took some covers, laid down on the couch and went sound asleep. And the next morning, my husband got up and he turned off the light. And he said, why did you turn that light on? Like, you can't, you have to sleep in total darkness. Like, and I said, I didn't. I said, Sean did. And I could tell by the look on his face, he just shook his head like, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Because he wasn't a fan. He didn't believe in the afterlife. So I said, I'm no, I'm not kidding. Like the light went on by itself. And he said, okay. And then more signs started coming. I would, the TV would be complete, would would be off. And his name, Sean, would flash on the TV. Really? And I would just start laughing. And I was like, I know you, you didn't see that. And he was like, nope, I didn't see it. And I would go out because it was a beautiful, the evenings in Arizona are quite warm, but early in the morning, it's, it's the best time of the day. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out to the spa and just putting my feet in the water and the sky was just starting to turn from black to pink. And I remember saying, okay, I need a sign just from you. Like maybe the, you know, I started doubting. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe that light was you. Maybe it was a fluke. I don't know. But I need something from you. And I heard a voice clearly say, look behind the picture in the library. And I said, who said that? You know, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm hearing voices. Like Maybe I really am losing my mind. So I dried off my feet and I went inside the house and there are several pictures in the bookshelf. And I picked up this one of Sean and a friend of his, and I just picked it up to kiss it because it was a cute picture. And there three notes fell out from behind this picture. And there were three little handwritten notes that Sean, he would always write me notes when he was young in elementary school. Um, and we would write notes, all of us would write notes to each other. Just I put them in their lunch just to say, I love you and mm-hmm. have a great day. And he would always leave me notes around the house that I would find them. But this one particular note, and I have a picture of it in the book, but it says, feel better, mom. And I just sobbed. It said, I love you. Feel better. And I just, I was like, this is the message that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. This was from Sean. So I took those little notes and I never, all, all of their, their little things that they made in elementary school. And I would put all the notes and things in a plastic bag because I wanted to preserve them. 
So I would have never taken them and put them behind a picture. Um, first of all, that wouldn't make any sense. Like, why would I hide these right. precious notes from him? You know, I, I wouldn't do that. But now they are next to his urn. So I finally got up the nerve to start telling a few friends and family about the white feather in my luggage. And they were saying to me, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> but I found a white feather. <clears throat> this is on the hood of my car. When I was, you know, backing out of the driveway, this white feather fell from the sky and somebody else said, I opened my front door and there was a big white feather there. And I start more and more people started telling me about their white feathers. And they said, you know, I don't know if I believe this or not, but I just wanted to let you know, I've never found a white feather before. Interesting. And I had to, um, I was doing some work in Princeton and I remember I was at, I was a little nervous about presenting and doing some work there. And I remember I was in the hotel and I said, um, please send me a sign and just let me know that you're here. And I'm not, I, I promise you, Sandra, a white feather fell from the ceiling onto the bed. And I just started laughing and I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And when I got back, my daughter and I, she, I told her I'd like to have a tattoo. I just personally wanted to get a tattoo, which a lot of parents do. Um, and the ironic thing is I told Sean, I said, don't you ever get a tattoo. Funny. They look so tacky. Right. Right. <laughs> and he was like, <clears throat> don't worry, mom. But we flew to LA to get a tattoo and, or I flew to LA and on the flight, I met a couple of girls and as spirit would have it. One of the girls had just, well, her brother had just transitioned and she was going home. And so I said, I told her a little bit about Sean and she said, well, what's your tattoo going to say? And I said, well, it's going to say lava you because Sean never said I love you. When he got older, he always said, lava you or just lava. I have no idea why. It's just his thing. Is there? <clears throat> right. So we had our tattoos and it was beautiful. We, we had a wonderful, a wonderful time. And um, a couple months later, I receive a text and I, don't really, I remember giving her my business card and I said, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. And I received a text and this text said, hi, Linda, I know you don't remember me, but I was sitting next to you on the plane and you were telling me about your son and why you were getting a, a tattoo. She said, well, I'm babysitting these kids and they're watching this Pixar movie and it's about a volcano and the kids were singing to her, I lava you. And she said, they keep singing it over and over. And she said, I just knew that this message had to be for you. And the same day, my daughter receives a message from a friend of hers 
who said, have you heard about this Pixar movie about a volcano that sings I Lava You? Mm. And so she sent me the text at the same time that I was sending her a message going, did you hear about this movie um, with a song that says I Lava You? I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't think that that's coincidence. I don't either. <clears throat> I mean, I've never heard Lava You, so. <laughs> and it was just our, our family. That's the way that we told each other that we, you know, we mm-hmm. loved each other. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the shaman, Ronnie, she said to me, they will use any means to get a message to you. And. She was right. I mean, he was using complete strangers to get a message to me that he loved me. And I, I'm a runner. I have run my whole life. And I've run through this community many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, I have never seen so many feathers in my entire life. Um, I would run with my husky banshee, who's now in spirit. And I would come across big feathers, little feathers, feathers standing up straight in the rocks, feathers in a grocery cart at the store. Even I I had a feather. I was getting ready to go on a flight. And before I boarded the airplane, I looked down and there was a, a feather right before I boarded the airplane on the ground. And... Now I just take feathers as a sign from spirit. And I have, gosh, these beautiful hummingbirds that show up. And the first time they showed up, they scared the dickens out of me. <laughs> um, I thought it was a, like a large mosquito. Um, but now they just come and they hang out with me in the courtyard. And they'll just stay around my shoulder for maybe 15, 20 seconds, and then they'll leave. That's quite a while for a hummingbird. (laughs) Pardon? I'm sorry? That's quite a while for a hummingbird to just come close and hover. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and and they weren't fearful of me, and I certainly wasn't fearful except the first time, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But after that, they will just come and spend time with me. And I think it's because I'm open. You know, I'm open and receptive to all the messages. And I don't just say that's a coincidence or or brush it off. Um, I really learn that our loved ones on the other side will use every means they can to, to let us know that they're around. It doesn't mean that he's the hummingbird. It's just I'm sending you a message. Right. And I remember one day I was, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just thinking you have one amazing son. I think it's not maybe so easy for others. Like, like there's learning to be done. I think once we arrive, we do that transition of how to do these. But I think your son really has that drive. And, you know, it's something that I know can be developed, you know, when people are looking for getting signs, um, I think they're working on the other side just as hard as we want them. But I just think your son is amazing that is able to make things happen 
so fast. Well, thank you. And I, he is also, we spent hours and hours and actually the last week he was here, we, we talked a lot about, because he gravitated, he left Catholicism. Um, we all did, but he left Catholicism and gravitated towards Buddhism mm-hmm. um, because he said to him, Buddhism is a philosophy, not a religion. And so he just loved spirituality. He loved learning about it. And he, they would even make fun of him on the ship because he would have um, his little Buddhas <laughs> on a desk. And they don't have much room on the ship, for sure. But he would have a crystal. Um, he'd have a Buddha and his little travel homeopathic kit that I had given him. So, um, But he always traveled with his Buddha and his crystal. And that was one of the things that when I was in Virginia Beach and they said, do you, is there anything that you need out of his car? And I said, I want his Buddha and his crystal. Mm-hmm. And they were like, how do you know that they're in, I said, they're in his car? And they were. Um, so I took those and I held those. I still, I, of course, carry them with me all the time. But I, yeah, I'm very grateful that um, he is excelling on the other side and learning how to communicate with me. Oh, um, I'm sure he's helping a lot of people as well because our jobs aren't done. <laughs> when we take oh, our no, last breath here. <laughs> oh. No, not at all. Not at all. Linda, and there's, you want, go mm-hmm. ahead. I was going to say, finish yeah. what your, your thought there, but if I'd love to find out about your book and then also what it is you do now, because I think that's very important also. And the gift your grief brought you because now you're making a difference with others. So anyways, carry on my friend. Right. Well, my, you know, for me, the reason I ended up writing the myth of dying is because I had my own NDE and I, I go into more detail in the book, but I will tell you that it was, it was literally one minute I was here. And I, it was like I blinked, and when I opened my eyes, I was in spirit. And it was the most incredible experience. I don't really have words to verbalize or articulate the beauty on the other side. That's common. And no words. Lo- <laughs> yeah. There are really, I, you know, I've heard people say that, but it's true. I mean, I was surrounded by the most incredible energy of love and joy and peace and happiness. And, and my father was the one who greeted me. And he looked fantastic. And I, all I have are some old black and white pictures of him. And he looked younger and he had more hair <laughs> and he had the biggest smile on his face. And I remember just smiling and being so happy to see him, but I couldn't get close to him. And the message was, I haven't completed my mission yet. And it was like, you agreed to do this and you haven't completed your mission yet. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking down to see what I looked like because I could see, I could hear. My, my senses were incredible. Mm-hmm. 
but I didn't have a physical body, Sandra. I had just a light body. I was a bo- I literally, it was like I was wearing a gown of shimmering light. And I was free. I was free of the constraints of this physical body. And as quickly as I was there, I was sent back. And I just remember being so angry that I was back here and I had all these physical limitations. Um, And I had a reading with Suzanne Wilson a few months later. And she said, oh, my gosh. She said, you were on the other side with your dad. And I said, yes, I was. And she said, "Um, oh, but you haven't completed your mission yet. She said, that was one of your exit points, but you hadn't, you agreed to come back. And I said, well, I don't understand. I said, as much as I love my father, why didn't I see Sean? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you would have died that day if you had. Uh, she said, you would have, mm-hmm. yeah. She said, you would not have agreed to come back. So that was huge for me. She said, you know, you're, you have an agreement and you will be together soon, which is true. Um, and our relationship with our loved ones really don't end at physical death. In fact, I, I always say to him, I'm like, I feel like in ways I'm closer to him now than I was in the physical because he was always gone. He was always on deployment someplace or working these long hours. And now I can have these conversations with him. I can ask him for validations and things will show up, things will happen. And, you know, the reality is, you know, we're born to die. And this is a sacred dance between life and physical death. And one day, you know, we're all going to be called to perform this dance. So, Instead of fearing it and running away from it, I think we should embrace it as our partner and just be grateful for all the experiences that we have here because we're all going to go mm-hmm. and we're all going to have our life review and, you know, see how we did. And that's how I look at this is this is, as we've heard many times, it is a school. It's a place to learn. And, but we're never, ever separated from our loved ones. Never. Um, and you're, radio show just says it so beautifully. It's like, you know, we don't die. And that's why I wrote my book is because dying is a myth. And I give 20 pages of, in the back of the book of resources and places to look. And um, because it isn't just about me. It's just not about my story. It's everybody's story is different. And, there are lots of different resources out there and scientific as you're doing the work that you're doing as well. Um, evidence, evidence, evidence. And I think that's really important at this time is to show people that, you know, it's just a different frequency or vibration. Like the, the ice cube. Body, not. Exactly. Back to the ice just cube. Just like the ice cube. Yep. Right. It's just the loss of, the physicality, but the energy and the frequency of who we are never dies. No. So. All proven through science that energy cannot 
be destroyed. So it, it exists. I'm so proud of you. I really am. And it is such an awful thing. I mean, I can't imagine I've had my own loss, but not of a child. But to use everything that you've been through and now making a difference so much for so many other people, because it is the one commonality we're all, we all share is we're going to have loved ones transition and we will as well. So like you said, embracing it and really accepting it. I think when we can be okay with death and we can be, Mm -hmm. we can really feel that the afterlife is real. It gives our life more meaning and direction and it makes every minute count and it gives us a bigger picture. So I think that's so important, but I want to ask too about your new direction coaching because you Mm -hmm. help others in various ways and I am just I'm just so proud of you from everything that you've learned prior to Sean's transitioning and after, and that you're able to give back. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it's so interesting because my originally the name was, uh, it was New Direction, but it was a completely different direction than what I, the work that I do right now. Mm-hmm. And after Sean transitioned, I had the privilege and the honor of meeting Elizabeth Boisson at an afterlife conference, who is, as you know, the head of the Care, uh, Helping Parents Heal organization. And I immediately became involved with them and with the parents and have been for the last um, five years. And actually, I was the head of the Caring Listeners Program, which is parents who have just we're a little bit ahead of others on this journey. And so we will guide new parents and and give them resources. So that's, I really am so grateful to Elizabeth and, and the organization. And so I just donate my time helping other parents and showing them and giving them resources that will help them on their journey to know that their children are still very much alive um, and how to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And I also do that as, you know, grief counseling to me, initially when I had grief counseling, um, I I just had to make it my own. Yes. And so I really want to focus on the positive, I guess. Um, And, and in doing that and showing others that life can, there's a continuation of life. There isn't that heaviness associated with the word grief. Not that we don't all grieve. We do. And trust me, I grieved, but you can also heal. And I miss Sean all the time, but I don't grieve for him because I know he's here. Mm -hmm. And I know all of our loved ones are around us all of them. My dad shows up. My mom shows up. I just had to learn. As I said, Sean, when he was little, when my children were little, I taught them the language of communicating. So speech. Yes. He is teaching me the language of spirit. Oh, 
So he's taught me and is continuing to teach me how to communicate with him. And thank goodness for your show. Thank goodness for everyone that's out there that is, is doing this. You know, Scott, he's, he's showing us, he goes into trance, mm-hmm. you know, and he's communicating. It's, I, 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 every time I see these, it, it takes my breath away. Um, but it's a, another validation. Yes. You know, that this is real. This is not just as they used to say, woo, woo, woo. Right. This exactly. You know? And that's what I want to, with my website, with, with my book, is just tell people this is, this is real. And you can find joy in life again. You can. And if I can make a difference in one person's life, then it's all, to me, it's all been worth it. Oh, and I'm sure you have, and then some. And it's, I know from where I sit, I could, I, my dad's death and the estranged relationships that developed with my siblings was the deepest, darkest time in my life. And to be 10 mm-hmm. years ahead of that now, with now 343 episodes of the show, hearing the most miraculous wow. stories. And then because of COVID-19, we're recording this in July 2020, and being housebound, which I thought would be a curse, is now from the privacy of the bedroom that I have at my mom's house, because she's elderly, living with her now, is to do all these online things like the trance demonstrations you're talking about, the numerous mediumship demonstrations where I, but people connect with their loved ones in such specifics. I have to pinch myself sometimes. Like, I'm really experiencing this. This is miraculous. Not to mention... And you had one yesterday, Yeah, right? I know. Yes. <laughs> and not, not to mention yeah. the fact that we're doing these online courses now. And as by nature of, you know, hosting them, I get to be a participant of them. So I'm now giving... Um, readings between the different classmates and thinking, how could I possibly know this stuff, you know, about these people? Well, it's because we are all souls. We all have this potential, whether we choose to develop it or not. And I, I, I'm, I feel really lucky to be here, never guessing how my path would change to being here now. So for all you're doing and all the people that you work with, and um, I do encourage people to take a look at Linda's website, newdirectioncoaching.com and the book to the myth of dying. It's just so special. And thank you. Yeah. And, and also thank helping parents. Yes. Ditto to you. Helping parents heal.org is a great great resource for people uh and they're just they're definitely friends of the show and support them a thousand percent so oh linda thank you um it's just now you so much going on the top of the hour here we've got a few minutes left but okay do you have any closing words just reach into that spiritual soul of yours um because it's not so easy for some people to live each day but any closing words you want to share with us? I guess if I could just 
say anything. It would just be, please don't fear death. There is nothing to fear. Our loved ones were not in pain when they crossed over, no matter what the physical body showed. Our spirit leaves before the accident, before the gunshot, before they don't experience that. Trust me with that. And it's a beautiful, you know, this is, this is a school. So we will, in the blink of an eye, truly be back reunited with all our loved ones and our family and our friends and our animals. And um, what an amazing, I'm so looking forward to going home permanently again right. at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So, again, we don't die. Perfect, perfect name for the show. So thank you so much. Oh, Linda, thank you for being our guest and for our listener. Thank you for spending the time with us. I really believe these these episodes empower all of us, not only to believe in the afterlife, but to live a better life today. And if you're new to the show, uh, all past episodes can be found at wedontdieradio.com. That's the home base. There's a pop-up screen that says to join the Insiders Club. That's simply my email list. And it says receive a few chapters of my book. The truth is it's the whole book in PDF form, How to Survive Grief. If you'd like to listen to the audio book on the wedontdieradio.com site, there's a button called store. And just scroll down to the audio book and type in coupon code free, F-R-E-E. And there's a copy for you there. There's also a very healing audio called How to Survive Grief. And on that page also, we have a new calendar. Um, Since lockdown, we have created a Sunday service, which is our idea of everything we want and more celebrating life, the afterlife with music and prayer. But at the end of each one, we have a medium or two that does demonstration on the people that come to our service. There's lots of demonstrations and videos and all kinds of good stuff. And we have a Facebook group called We Don't Die Listeners, if you're a Facebook user. And sometimes it just helps to uh, connect with other people. Absolutely, it does. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. And Linda's really left me with that visual of the ice cube right now and really getting <laughs> that we we never die. We just change forms and our loved ones on the other side, they still have work to do. They still have soul growth to be done, but they can be with us in a blink of an eye, just a, just a thought away. You don't need a medium to connect. Uh, Linda's perfect story talks about how they can show you signs, but it does take us quieting our mind and keeping that relationship going. It really does. And just trusting. So I really want to thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. <laughs>